Today on the Forest City Church Elgin podcast, teaching pastor Steve Carter's message is titled, Matters of First Importance. I've become fascinated with conversations around doctrine, which some of you are like, boring. Um, but I, I think it's important. I just, I think for many of us, you've probably wondered like, what, what is this place? Like, what do we believe? What are we all about? Like, I like the worship. I, I, I like the community. I like there's so much, but like what, what actually anchors us and holds us together? And so if you have a Bible, turn with me uh, just to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're not going to go, you're not going to be up on the screen. I just, I just want you just to see some stuff. And, and I've done this before, but I think it's really, really important um, because Corinth, Corinth in many ways, they would say was similar to Vegas. Um, it's the, probably the most Vegas-like city in the ancient Near East. Uh, people would have a phrase, you know, let's go Corinthianize this weekend. And, and people would go into it. It's very high arts, very culture. Um, a lot of decisions that were, happened in Corinth um, stayed in Corinth. And people just... Um, could go there and really lose their, their way. And, and, and Paul has this little church that's there. And this cultural epicenter with a whole bunch of just brokenness. And, and, and he begins to see that how, in so many ways, the outside world is beginning to infect what's happening in these little gatherings. And so I just want you just to see, if you, if you have a Bible, you can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's right after Romans, right before 2 Corinthians. But 1 Corinthians 1, you just start to see all of these kind of tension, tension that's just boiling up. The first one, so I'm trying to turn my Bible. The first one all centers around division. A church was divided over its leaders. I think it's fascinating. Like this whole church is like, oh, we like it when this person teaches. We like this person. We like this person. And Paul's having to address that right from the jump. You just keep going. Um, what do you have? You've, you've got uh, this whole question on leadership. Uh, chapter 5, you're dealing with a case of incest. Um, it's probably what you don't want to have happen in a church. That will make Twitter. Um, there, chapter 6, you have people in the church that are suing each other. That's, that's fascinating. Um, and, and, and basically, like, you see a whole bunch of people who, who are, like, so angry that I'm actually going to take you into public and sue you, um, which is fascinating. You go to the, the later on in chapter 6, sexual immorality. You got stuff around marital life. Just all of this stuff. You've got um, a whole thing around food that's been sacrificed to idols. Can you eat it? What do you do with it? You've got stuff around idols' feasts. Paul does a whole section on the need for self-discipline. Um, there's just all of these questions about the believer's freedom in chapter 10. Um, there, there was correcting an abuse in regards to the Lord's Supper because some people weren't able to, to experience it. Um, covering the head in worship. Um, culturally, back then, that was a big deal. Some whole bunch of unity and struggles that were taking place. There was uh, speaking in tongues and just all of this stuff that was happening. And Paul writes this letter to try and help this church discover true north again. But then look in chapter 15. Towards the end of this letter, look what he says, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. The gospel being the good news, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, meaning the one that he preached, 
you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. It's a really, really powerful line right there. Hey, remember what I taught you, which as someone who's reading the text, you should go, oh, man, I wonder what he taught them as the gospel. I wonder what, what he actually preached to them to say, hey, hold on to this. This is what will anchor and guide your life in the present. Well, look what it says in verse 3. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, which is like the Greek name for Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. I think this is really, really fascinating, is that Paul begins to kind of address, hey, that there are things that are important, and there are matters that are of first importance. And when Paul writes that there are matters of first importance, he says that Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he appeared, and he ascended, which we'll get to later in chapter 15, ascended to heaven. And this became the primary gospel, and if you remember in the first two verses of chapter 15, to which you are saved. This became the essential to absolutely receiving salvation. And, and this is what's amazing, is Paul's not saying that what happened in chapters 1 through 14 are not important. They're just not matters of first importance. Lawsuits, important. Incest in church, yeah, it's important. Abuse that needs to be corrected in the church, important. Issues that are happening, important. Clarity, important. It is just not of salvific importance. Does that make sense? And I think somehow when we get into conversations around doctrine, this is where things get awry. Because all of a sudden, we want to add a bunch to it. Let's go to the next slide. And this, for me, is just we have to wrestle with it. There is a difference between matters of importance and matters of first importance. And I put a question mark there because we have to ask ourselves, is there? And in my understanding, I really believe that there are matters of first importance that are salvific, lead you towards salvation, and matters of importance that are part of your sanctification. And again, I don't like to use five, six-syllable words, um, but this whole idea of sanctification is the process at which we become whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. So you have to understand that when Paul is talking, he's talking about theology and doctrine, and that whole idea of doctrine centers around a body of teachings that holds people together and opens the door for greater sanctification. Does this make sense? And, and what ends up happening, and I remember I had a pastor in Grand Rapids, Michigan. His name was Ed Dobson. He had Lou Gehrig's disease, and he was a fantastic voice. He would get up and he'd preach, and he would stand, and he was so frail. And we'd have somebody else read the Bible, and he would just preach and the wisdom that this man had. And then he would say, stop there. And then he'd talk, and then he'd be like, read the next verse, stop. And then he would teach, because he couldn't read, he couldn't hold the pages, he couldn't turn the pages. 
But I remember one day he told me, he said, Steve, when it comes to theology and healthy theology, your job as a pastor is to help people discern between three realities. And he said, absolutes, convictions, and preferences. And some of you have heard me talk about this, but this is really, really important. And in Paul's language, absolutes would be matters of first importance. Christ lived. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He appeared and he ascended. If you want to debate on that stuff, it's going to be hard for you to enter in and discover the fullness of the kingdom of God. He lived all of the teachings. He died, died for our sins. He's buried, basically them being washed away, rose, defeated death. He appeared and he ascended back to the right hand of the Father. Absolutes, but convictions, convictions are all of the stuff that we all personally feel is really, really important. And actually, some of them are really, really important to the heart of God, truly. And some of them, based on our experiences, are absolutely even have a bigger deal. And they actually are really a part of our sanctification. But that's part of our process of opening our lives up to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. And underneath that is preferences. Some of you, if you're really, really honest, you really liked Ethan leading worship today. Because you were like, finally, no drums in church. (laughs) So loud all the time. I just love just an acoustic guitar. That's all I want. Some of you were like, I really liked Ethan, but man, I wish, where are the keys? Where's the band? All right? We, We all have our preferences, and preferences aren't bad. I will never shame preferences, unless you're Ohio State fan or Packer fan. But I will not shame your preferences. All right? And, and, and what you have to understand is the problem for many of us is we make our convictions absolutes. We make our convictions salvific. We make our preferences salvific. And that word's just fun to say. But like we, we, we end up missing the plot and this is what absolutely hurts the church. This is what absolutely divides us. And you have to wrestle with this question. What was God's vision? Division? Was God like, oh, here's the dream. Here's the dream. Denominations on every corner of every city, in every county, in every state, on every continent of the world. First and second and third, and if you get to Grand Rapids, 42nd Baptist Church. You know what I mean? Like, we, we, is, this, is this like the dream? But all of what happened was convictions were so important, and I'm not knocking them. They are important. The problem was what became more important was the absolute conviction rather than knowing how to talk to someone who was also in Christ. What became more important was my preference. My preference. Than knowing how to actually engage and interact with someone who thought differently from me. Part of cognitive cognitive dissonance is exactly what Sophie's talking about. What do I do in a world where someone begins to say things or act in a way that's different from the way I want to be? And Patty's right. The things that come out of my mouth, they can't absolutely come back. And there's this moment for me where I have to find myself going, okay, okay, okay. Do I absolutely understand He lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he appeared, he ascended. 
Do you understand that your true self in Christ is unoffendable? Think about that. Your true self in Jesus Christ is unoffendable. You might, like, you might not like things, but it has no bearing on you because your identity is so wrapped up in who he says you are, not what somebody else says you are. So for me, in many ways, and this, this whole kind of concept of Forest City Church, in some ways it feels like new, but it really, it really is an old thing. I think there's a lot of times something starts new and it's like, oh, hey, we got new fresh language and new website and new colors and all, all that stuff. I, I really appreciate it. I like, I like design. I wish everything was just all in black myself, but like, it's okay. But I, 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 I begin to like really find myself going, wow. And I really want to go backwards, to be honest. I want to go backwards to how the first church just had to sit and wrestle with, are we actually in Christ? I mean, the first church, you know what they were called? They were called the way. Not by what they believed, but by the way they actually embodied the truth of Jesus. Like, I, I, that's what I want. I want us to go backwards to really wrestle with the weightier matters of God so that when we move forward, we can actually walk in this way well. And so Eric Parks, our lead pastor, and, and a few of us, and the elders, and we just began wrestling through this. And, and one of the, the pieces that I found myself fascinated by was a heresy that broke out in the 300s. See, in the three, 325 in Nicaea, there was a group of people who came together and they said, hey, we got to figure out what we actually believe. Like, what's our absolutes? We know matters of first importance, but there's, there's still some more stuff about the Father, about the Spirit. We just, we got we to be able to put something together. And so they came together and they wrote what is known as the Nicene Creed. Now, there's two primary creeds. The Apostles' Creed, um, which became a Hillsong song that many people have sung. They don't know that they're singing the Apostles' Creed, but that's what they're singing. And then the Nicene Creed. In 325, though, some parts were left out of the Nicene Creed, and a guy by the name of Arius got up and began to literally start to proclaim that it went Father, and then underneath the Father was the Son and the Holy Spirit, that they were not three in one. He did not believe in the Trinity. He actually thought, no, you had God, and then you had the Son, and the Son was like a lesser. Like, if you had, like, the Son, Jesus was like the moon. And had this unbelievable viewpoint of really limiting the life and the teachings of Jesus. Well, this actually spread in the 300s. And so in 381, in the Council of Constantinople, to Nople. Um, if you like, they might be giants. The band, they have a song, Istanbul, not Constantinople. But like this, this idea in 381 was they had to address the heresy of Arius. And what they created was the first ecumenical creed. And creed literally just means I believe or we believe. And this, this creed brought together different faith streams and traditions to say, in the face of this heresy, how do we come together and recommit to the proper absolutes? 
And that was at the heart of the Nicene Creed. And for me, there's something beautiful about something that has existed straight from the text. You'll see it as we read it, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, just like 1 Corinthians 15, according to the scriptures. But something that holds it. Now, here's the fascinating thing. You go to most churches' websites and you go to their their doctrine of faith, what they've done is just pulled four to seven words from the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, and they've made their their doctrine of faith based on it. I will tell you 85 to 90%. I went to all of the large churches in the country. I went to many like reformed churches and you can see it. And they're just pulling from these creeds. They're not calling that, but they're pulling from these two creeds. And so I just said, hey, let's just go back to that council. And our elders got excited about that, and that's kind of what we're doing. So I want to show you the Nicene Creed. Many of you might know it. Maybe you grew up saying it, but I want you to hear this. I changed um, a couple words, uh, which sounds heretical, but I changed from I to we just because I think this is something that we together, uh, I always say Christianity is not a solo sport. Um, as Vanessa said, it's a family. Like, we, we need it. And this is a, a multi-paragraphed uh, creed. And so I just put them little by little. So I'm going to fly through this and then we're going to get to some more thoughts. We believe in one God, the father, the almighty maker of heaven and earth of all that is seen and unseen maker of heaven and earth and all that is seen and unseen were added in 381. Continue the next one. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being, of one being with the Father. Now, I'm not memorizing this. If you're new here, I have a cheat sheet in the back. Now, you'll see what was added here was God from God, light from light. What they were trying to say is there is no separation. It's three in one. And what the the Council of Constantinople, this ecumenical understanding of the Nicene Creed, was to to really lift up Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The power of the Trinity continues on. It says this, through him all things were made. Colossians 1. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary. That part was added as well because they wanted to say, hey, he was born. And was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. Continues on. Says this. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Continues on. Says this. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, that was added, that's why it's bracketed, with the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. And then lastly, says this, we believe in one holy Catholic. Now Catholic meaning universal, not just the denomination, but one holy, universal, Catholic, and apostolic. That's a church that's moving and building. We acknowledge one baptism next week for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And so many faith traditions, this was what they would say. Did any of you grow up in a faith tradition where you said that? Everyone was like, I didn't finish the question. You're like, I grew up. Uh, But uh, anyone grew up where you were literally like reciting either the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed? 
Yeah, so some of this is like really, really familiar. Um, I, I, I was like a spiritual mutt, so I didn't know about creeds. And when every time I thought about Creed, I thought of like Scott Stab, let me take you higher, which God save us all from that. Um, but I, I, but I tell you, like literally, I, I found myself like so going, this was so helpful for so many people because it was an anchor. It was an anchor. Now, if we're really, really honest, though, you probably read that and maybe something inside you goes, yeah, but what about, but what about, I mean, what about this? What, what, what about this, this issue? But, 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 I mean, like, what about this? And all of a sudden, our subconscious convictions start to want to bubble up. And they want to actually move to the top. And fascinating. What I love about the Nicene Creed, too, is we're talking about the third century. There was this heresy that was happening, they addressed it. But you could go down 4th century, 5th century, 6th century, 7th century, 8th century, 9th century. All, every century, there has been different pieces that have been tried to add or make a conviction an absolute. I'm not saying they're not important. They're just not salvific. They're not going to actually get me into heaven. They're not actually going to give me the grace that I need to walk in freedom. They are passionate they are, they are meaningful. They're not salvific. They're part of my sanctification. Does this make sense? Now, let's take this even farther. And, and again, I want you to really think about this for yourself. I'm going to put the ACP back up. The absolutes, convictions, and preferences. And you've got to ask yourself, what's absolute to you? And what's, what's, what's really a conviction of yours? that maybe you have made an absolute. A conviction that you have, that you've maybe just said, oh man, I have put that on the same kind of weight as like what Jesus did for all of humanity. Not saying it's not important. Or maybe you have a preference that you've like, or the cognitive dissonance comes when you actually get around somebody else and their convictions are different than yours. See, this is, this is what's happening in the U.S. right now when it comes to church. And if I upset any of you, let me remind you of a Lithuanian rabbi who says the, you only have a rabbi when you let him disrupt you. I'm not trying to shock you, but I want you to sit in the cognitive dissonance because if we can do it here, we'll be able to do it better out there. And the truth is right now, depending on where you land, on the right or the left, there are churches that are trying to get you to be right here or right here or right here or way over here or way over here. And what's amazing, what's amazing to me is it's like, Oh, the, the dream has always been Jew and Gentile. The, the, the dream has always been people who are aware of their personal convictions and preferences, but does not let that overstep the absolute. And that's the question. What kind of community will we be? 
And again, that, that, that gets really, really scary. Because for a lot of people, they go, whoa, 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 are you just being slippery? You're being slippery? Right now, we have more cynicism in the church than ever before. So what are you really saying? You know, before 2015, I could say anything on the stage that was biblical, and I would never get an email back about it. But after 2015, I would say something, and it might be two words, like refugees. And all of a sudden, they were like, what are you, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to do? What are you, da, da, da. And I'm like, oh, I was just teaching on the verse that my boss told me to preach on. It's <laughs> trying to be, well, you better be, yeah, what, are you, what are you really saying? I'm like, I, I'm, I'm trying to do this. Yeah, 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 but I don't know. I'm like, I don't know, how to, I don't know what to do. And, and what's amazing is we, we don't actually know how to sit in the cognitive dissonance with people whose convictions are different than ours. Like I, I have really, really dear friends, and I, dear friends, and I, I, I use this example, I use this example b- before, but uh, with our core team. But Jim Harbaugh, coach of Michigan, he, he got blasted because after George Floyd, he took his team and they, they did a peaceful protest in, in, in Ann Arbor with his teammates. And the right went after him like crazy. He spoke about guns. The right went after him like crazy. And then three weeks ago, the only coach that I know of in Division I sports got up and said, let the born be born. Have the courage to say it, people. Let the born be born. And he was, he was, he was pro-life in this moment. And the left destroyed him. And what's amazing is if you're familiar with a Chicago consistent of life ethic, he has held the same consistent life ethic from womb to the tomb, and both sides were angry. And he was like, I don't care. I'm just doing my thing of how I understand the Bible. Now, I say this, I say this to go, for so long I was raised to only think pro-life. Pro-life. Now, a lot of you are getting really scared right now, but just hold me, hold, say with me. And then I have really, really dear friends who were like, can I, can I just tell you from our experience what that was like? And I was like, I've never heard that experience. doesn't mean I have to change what I think or believe, but we've lost the art of visiting another's position. I don't have to live there. But why can't I visit that position and just simply say, hey, can you tell me more? How, how does that, how, like, what, what, tell me more about your experience. And this for me, if my true self in Christ is unoffendable, then I can sit with people on all sides of the aisle and sit in the tension and go, Jesus, you got to give me something to say. You got to teach me. You got to help me. You got to guide me. You got to lead me. And for me, this, this is what we have to be. And I'll tell you what, when you start diving into the teachings of Jesus, this is what Jesus was inviting people who were so divided back then, from poverty to rich to beliefs, all over the, all over the map. And he kept saying, I want you to be in me and walk in access to my Father. That's what I want. So, two passages of Jesus, one question. I know I'm running a little late, but this, um, 
I just, I want you to sit in this and then we'll, we'll break. All right, let's go to the passage with Jesus. How many of you have seen this, this verse in Matthew 18? For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. We use this verse all the time. Two or three are gathered. He's here. But does anybody know what this is actually referring to? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. So when all of a sudden you find yourself in cognitive dissonance with another, or you find someone's convictions are different than yours, and you don't know what to do, you actually can go there, and it's you and a brother or you and a sister, and the Spirit and Jesus are there with you. Because why? He's all about reconciliation. He doesn't want us to be divided. He wants us to be able to interact. He wants us to be engaged. He speaks so much about judgment. And this is the hard part about Facebook and Twitter and Nextdoor app. It's, it's so easy right now to judge. And I get it. I get it. The harder thing is to actually fight for understanding and visiting another person's position and listening and learning and being stretched and realizing my true self in Christ is unoffendable. All right, I want you to look to your neighbor. Give me seven more minutes, please. Then we're gonna do a closing awesome song and then Bria's gonna close us. But I, give, me, give me just seven more minutes. Would you just turn to your neighbor and just, just for a moment talk about one time you were judged? You were judged. Okay, just take, just take a second. I'll be right back. Okay. Some of you thought I just had glasses. That I was wearing glasses. You're like, why do you have them around your neck? Look at this verse, if I can read it. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is the dumbest prop I've ever done. Okay, it is, I know, I know. But I, but I need you to understand, this is like, this is how we live our life. And, we, and we, we don't see spiritual formation as, why does this person's tweet upset me so much? Why, why does this person's stance on this issue frustrate me so much? And, and, and we don't know how to have a conversation with them. So it's easier to gossip, or it's easy to get angry, or it's easy to make judgments. What, what if, like, what if, like, instead, we could actually go, like, why, why? Sorry, it's just so dumb. I know, I know. Just, but like, you're going to be thinking about this. You're going to be thinking about this. You're going to be thinking about it. Um, and you're, you're going to have this moment where you're like, oh, this is what Jesus was saying. It's so like bizarre what Jesus is saying. But we, we're like, yeah, but where, where do they land on this issue? And why do they vote for this person? What, da, da, da. You know what I dream of? I dream of a church that is so absolutely, it's like if you had the, the length of Jesus' hands on the cross, from one side to the next, everyone could actually be filled in. From the right 
to the left and everybody in between, but they could absolutely learn to say, I want to have healthy dialogue. When I get angered or frustrated or experience the cognitive dissonance, I want to actually take a step back and begin to wrestle with God and say, why is this bothering me so much? It doesn't feel right. Well, maybe what's the next best right step, Lord, for me to go and do? Maybe to ask clarity or ask questions. Or maybe read about it. Maybe just try to not think, well, my one experience on the planet understands everybody and they should all behave like me. Maybe, 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 maybe I have to sit with the text, learn about the context, sit with another and just go, wow, how do you understand this? And listen and begin to have healthy dialogue. And maybe your questions might spur on their questions that will lead to further sanctification. But you know what I've never seen? Judgment never leads to sanctification. You know what judgment leads to? Peacing out from the church. I've never been someone who's like, man, I got so judged. That's where I want to spend the rest of my life. That's what I, that, you know what, like, imagine just getting married and you're like, you know who I want to marry? I don't want someone who brings out the best of me, who like, who's kind. I want someone who judges me and shames me. And Jesus like, what's in your eye? And so I think for us, that hurts. For, for us, we just have to ask ourselves, are we going to be the kind of place that goes, man, we're going to be about matters of first importance. But we're actually going to be so about people because God was about people that when other people's convictions and preferences are different, we're not going to shade it and shame it or judge it. We're going to ask questions about it and we're going to sit with it because our true self in Jesus is unoffendable. When he's at the cornerstone and he's at the center, then all of a sudden, all of these life experiences, my friend Ann right here, Ann's got a story that I could never understand. She grew up in different parts of the world. She went through stuff that, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm saying this, but you've tweeted about this. But like, you, you, she's gone through stuff I could never even imagine. But to see her faith, that inspires me. There's so many people, so many of you have gone through so much. And for me to actually learn how you stayed dependent, how you stayed connected to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that, that's going to teach us to grow. That's going to bond us together. And so I'm asking us, and you're going to see this on our website, the Nicene Creed. If you ever have questions, man, bring them. If you don't think I'm doing enough, bring that. I, again, I want to learn I want to grow, but what I want us to do is to actually take the Bible at its word and be about matters of first importance. I'm going to pray and then invite Ethan to come and lead us in a song, and then, and then Bria will close us out. God, I, I have to be honest that there's judgment in my heart. It's so easy for me just to see the speck of sawdust in somebody else's because they're not behaving the way that I wanted them to or they're not doing what I thought they should do or doing it the way that I wanted them to do. And yet I miss the invitation to actually go deeper with you. I do that all the time. And so in some ways, God, I, I'm, I've been preaching to myself because I, I, I need to be reminded again and again and state again and again what I believe and what I long for. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the way of Jesus.
And I'm just praying, God, that you would protect. Because what you prayed for in John 17 was the unity for the disciples, not division. That was never your father's vision, division. It was always unity. So God, I pray that we, even in the midst of our differences, would choose the unity that is found in the absolute gift of the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the appearance, and the ascension of Christ. And we begin to see a little bit more like you see. Listen a little bit more to the teachings of your son and embody your way. But it can only work as if you're at the center and you're a cornerstone. I pray even as we sing this song, if there's judgment that we've held, if there's this, the plank in our own eye that we haven't been able to address, I just even pray that maybe during this song, we can just begin to surrender that and recommit to a life that's found in your life, your death, your burial, your resurrection, your ascension and appearance. We love you. We pray all this in your name and everyone said, amen. You've been listening to Teaching Pastor Steve Carter with a message, Matters of First Importance. Thanks for listening.